Well, believe it or not, we are, have come to the last chapter in the book of 1 John. That doesn't mean the last lesson. That just means the last chapter in the uh, book of 1 John. And so we'll spend a few weeks there. But we go back always to the very beginning, reminding ourselves that uh, John, we do not have to wonder about why John wrote this letter. He tells us very specifically And he tells us that he writes, first of all, that their joy would be complete. And then he says he writes that they would not sin. And then he said he writes concerning those who would lead them astray. And then he says that I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And that kind of, if we had to pick a theme verse for the book of 1 John, that would kind of be it. And then we saw those four principles that we learned at the very beginning. First of all, that doctrine matters. Second of all, that holiness matters. Third, that love matters. And finally, that confidence matters. And so we have been looking at that. And, and one of the unique things about John's writing, especially in, in 1 John, is it is not so much that he covers one subject and moves on to the next and moves on to the next. It's not very easily outlined. And so as we've gone through 1 John, we've seen all of these topics kind of intermingled. He talks often about love. He talks often about doctrine and false teachers. He talks often in there about the fact of love, loving God and God's love for us. And confidence is mentioned several times before we get to 5 and 17 that that we love. So we've touched on a lot of these things as we've gone along. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about God's love for us, our love for him and our love for each other. And this morning, John writes about obedience, faith and victory. And if you have your Bibles, we're in first John, John chapter five, verses one through five. And John writes this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God. To obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So he mentions in there several times about obedience. You know, I don't know about you. But there's just something within me. That the word obedience just kind of has a little negative connotation to it. I don't know if it's about our upbringing. I don't know if it's about our American way of freedom. I don't know if there is a little rebellious streak in all of us. It kind of seems that way. But none of us really like to be told what to do, do we? Most of us. Now, if you like to be told what to do, that's okay. But most of us do not just really like to be told what to do. Because, and I'll tell you why I don't like to be told what to do. Because I know what's best. I don't need you telling me. 
I know what's best for me. I know what's best. I'm, I'm smarter than you. At least when it comes to me. And so I don't like being told what to do. We know best. We think we are free. We think we are independent. And therefore, I don't need anybody putting constraints on me. I don't need anybody giving me rules or whatever, laws and all those things. But John reminds us that obedience to God is essential. Not optional. Not suggested. Obedience to God is essential. And notice the first thing he says is that obedience is a sign of our love for God. Just as, go ahead, Jansen. Just as John had said that our love for God is demonstrated by our love for each other. Remember that? He said, you know, you can't love God. You can't say you love God if you don't love each other. He says that obedience to God is also a sign. Of our love for God. We can't say that we love God. And then not obey him. We may think we can. We may trick ourselves into believing. Deceive ourselves into thinking that I can say I love God. But not do what he says. But John comes along and says that just is not true. Remember Jesus says that our love for God is not demonstrated simply by claiming to know him. Remember that in Matthew chapter 7? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So it is not enough to say, I know God. It's not enough to say, I love God. It's not enough to wear a cross around our neck or put a a fish bumper sticker on our car or wear a Christian t-shirt. Or listen to Christian music. That's not enough. We can't just say all those things and outwardly profess our love for God and not obey him. We have to obey him. We have to do what he says. The prophet, remember, Saul, King Saul goes out and he disobeys God and doesn't kill uh, the king of the Amalekites. He doesn't kill all the all the uh, animals. And he comes back and the prophet confronts him about that. And Saul says, well, I was going to sacrifice these animals to God. And you remember what the prophet said? It is better to obey than to sacrifice. But God, I come to church every Sunday and I give and I do this and I do that. And so that kind of means that I can do whatever I want to the rest of the time. And you know, there are some folks that probably believe that. They probably feel like, well, as long as I come to church, as long as I put my time in, as long as I sacrifice, as long as I give, then then that kind of shows my love for God. And I can go out and I can live my life any way I want to the rest of the week. And the prophet says to Saul, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Remember that John is writing, one of the purposes of John's writing, he's writing to refute those people, those Gnostic people, we talked about them, who basically said, what I do in my physical life has no effect on my fellowship or my relationship with God. Because the physical and the spiritual have nothing to do with each other. 
I can love God. I can be in fellowship with God. I can, you know, uh, be one with God and I can still go out and I can still live in sexual immorality or drunkenness or any, you know, hatred or, you know, thievery or whatever the case may be. I can still go out and do all these things because that doesn't affect my spirit. That doesn't affect my relationship with God. And John clearly here absolutely refutes that. You cannot love God and keep his commandments. One of the marks, one of the signs of, of love for God is keeping his commandments. Doing what he says. That is so very important. John tells us that if we love God, we will keep his commands. So let me ask you this. Kind of a question. How do you feel about God's commands? What's your relationship to God's commands? Are you resentful? Do you feel like God has just put these commands here to to make you miss out on something? You know, the 119th Psalm is the longest chapter in the Bible. There are 176 verses. 176 verses in the 119th Psalm. All but two of those verses. So if my math is correct, 174 out of 176 mentions God's commands. In one way or another. He may use the word precepts. He may use the word statutes. He may use the word law. He may use, you know, some other word. But in 174 out of 176 verses, in Psalm 119, God's word, God's law, God's commandments are mentioned. And I challenge you to read that chapter. Because it is all positive. It is all positive. I love The law of the Lord. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I meditate day and night on your precepts. They keep me from stumbling. They keep me from falling. All throughout this long psalm, the writer is talking about how beneficial it is to obey God's word, to obey God's law. I think that perhaps it would do all of us well, myself included. If maybe at the start of every week, we read Psalm 119. We just read Psalm 119 and let that prepare us for the week we have ahead. So that when we begin to think about, well, I know God wants me to do this, but I'm not. We have a proper positive mindset. Towards God's command. James reminds us not to simply be hearers of the word. But doers. Remember he makes that comparison. The person who hears but doesn't do. Is like the man who looks in the mirror. Turns away and forget what he looks like. You know there's there's a couple of you in here. That looked in the mirror this morning and turned away. And didn't do anything about it. Well, that kind of doesn't serve the purpose of the mirror, does it? The purpose of the mirror is to see what needs to be fixed and fix it. 
God's word is not just something to be looked into and said, oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that cute? And closed. But we look into God's word to see what in our lives needs to be changed. What in our lives needs to be fixed. And then we need to fix it. We need to change it. And so James reminds us of that. Jesus said, remember, at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, at the very end, he said, the person who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. King James maybe says, and does them, but and puts them into practice is like the man who builds his house upon the rock. And the rains come and the floods come and the winds beat against that house. But the house stood firm because it was built on the rock. The person who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice. The person who hears these words of mine looks into the mirror of my word and turns away and doesn't do anything about it. Is like the man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain and the storms and the flood and the winds come and beat upon the house and it falls with a loud crash. There are going to be storms, there are going to be winds, there are going to be floods in our lives. And we're going to make it through those if we hear the word of God and do what it says. We have to have obedience as it shows our love for God. Ultimately, it boils down to this. Do we truly love God? If we do, then obedience is not only essential, but it becomes natural. Which leads us to the second point that John says here. And that is that obedience is not burdensome. This, I believe, is the attitude or a sign of spiritual maturity. You know, early on in a child's life, parents, right? Early on in a child's life, our children just, they just don't understand, do they? They don't like the rules. They don't want the rules. They don't understand the rules. Mommy and daddy are just being mean. Mommy and daddy are being overprotective. Mommy and daddy are doing this and they're doing that. And they don't understand it because they they haven't reached a level of maturity where they can look and they can see. Oh, now I understand. Now I know why mom and dad didn't want me to go here. Now I know why mom and dad didn't want me to associate with these people. Now I know why why mom and dad didn't want me to do this particular, engage in this particular activity. Because... They were watching out for me. They cared for me. They loved me. They were concerned about me. And they knew a little better than I did. Now, for some children, it may take 50 years before they come to that realization. I get that. I understand that. But hopefully, eventually, they will. It's a sign of maturity. I believe the same is true with God's commands. There may be early on in our Christian lives when we're kind of immature, we just do what God tells us to do because God told us to do it. Or we don't do what God tells us not to do because God said don't do it. And we may not like it and we may be frustrated by it and we may not understand it. But as we grow in our fellowship and our relationship to God, it begins to make more sense. God's laws 
are not arbitrary. God's laws are not capricious. God's laws are not meant to keep us from joy. They are the exact opposite. God's laws are designed for our protection. God created us. Who knows better what is best for us than the one who created us? You go through and you see God's laws, God's commands, whatever the case may be. And we see that when we go against God's law, the consequences are horrific. When we don't do what God says, the result in our society, in our world, and even in our own lives is terrible. And God is trying to keep us from those consequences. God is trying to keep us from those things happening to us. He wants us to have an abundant life, as Jesus said in John 10, verse 10. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be happy. And he knows that if we go against God's will... We're not really going to be happy. We're not really going to be filled with joy. We're not really going to have peace in our life. We're going to have more pain. We're going to have more sorrow than even is already in the life that we have. I think what John is getting at is that as we mature in our fellowship with love and our, and our fellowship with God, as our love grows for him, Obeying him becomes easier. Now, I don't when he when he says obeying God, his laws are not burdensome. That doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle sometimes doing what God wants us to do. And we will at times. But I think as we grow in our relationship with God, when we as we grow in our fellowship with him. It gets easier. Because we understand more. And now I see why God said don't do this. Or why God said do this. Because my life will be better. My life will be enriched. If I do what God wants me to do. We recognize the consequences in the world. Go against God's law. Again Psalm 119 makes the point that obedience is a pleasure. Not a burden. It's a pleasure to obey God. Not a burden. Now, the third thing he says here, and I kind of twisted it a little bit to make it fit, but it does. Obedience brings victory. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Neither one of my daughters are here. They, Amen, if they were. I like to win. I like to win. I play tennis once or twice a week with some older fellas. And we're just out there to have fun. We're just out there to, I'm out there to exercise. You know, that's about the only exercise I get. So I go out there and we're out there, you know, to have fun. Some of these guys are way older than me. Okay. And we're just out there, you know, having fun. But. We do keep score. And I may be playing and, and, and I may, we may get behind me. My partner may get behind two in the set. And outwardly, ah, it's no big deal. You know, we're just out here having fun. 
Inwardly, I'm saying there's no way these guys should beat us. There is, come on, what's wrong? And, I, and my partner misses a shot and I'll go, ah, that's all right, jerk. <laughs> you know, how could you miss that? That was the easiest shot I've ever seen. You missed that shot. Of course, he's saying the same thing when I miss my shot. So, you know, I'm not, not saying. You know, and there's kind of an unwritten, we have an unwritten rule in our little group. And that is that, you know, those of us and who are a, a bit younger, one of the things that we don't do is we don't take advantage of the elderly. And so if the guy who's 80 years old is at the back of the tennis court, you don't intentionally hit a drop shot just over the net. Because he's going to break a hip trying to get to it. And generally speaking, I respect that unwritten rule. But if we're behind, (laughs) and I really want to win, I will accidentally, oh, I didn't mean to hit that shot. I like to win. Play golf once a year with my dad and my brother-in-law and, and one of my dad's friends. And we're just out there to have fun. But we keep score. And we'll play for three days and we'll add the scores up at the end of three days. See who had the lowest score. And I want that to be me. I want to win. Paul, Paul, John... John reminds us here that it is not that we will win, but that we've already won. You remember that cheer the cheerleaders used to do? You know, that V-I-C-T-O-R-Y? Victory, victory is our cry. And that was all, you know, you'd hear that in in the middle of the game. You know, we want the victory, we want the victory. Well, the same, it's different for us. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, victory, victory is our cry. Why? Because we are already victorious. We have already won. It's not gonna happen. It has already happened. I've told y'all before, a lot of revelation. I don't understand. A lot of stuff in there is kind of weird, freaky. We got, you know, dragons and serpents and, and flying creatures and, you know, all these kinds of things. But I know this about revelation. The main point is we win. We win. And we have already won, John tells us. Our victory is secured by our faith. And our faith includes obedience. That's how that connects there. We already have the victory and the victory is our faith, which includes obedience. We have overcome the world. Wow, that's amazing. We have overcome the ruler of this world. We have overcome the temptations of this world. We have overcome the pressures of this world. We have overcome the values of this world. Now, Paul, Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter eight. He says, what shall we say in response to all of this? If God be for us, Who can be against us? 
And that's not an if as in maybe, maybe not if. That's an if as because since God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give up all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors. Not we will be. Not we have the potential to be. We are right now more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who gives us the victory. And our victory is our faith in that same Jesus Christ. We even have victory over death. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is talking about the resurrection. In verse 57, 57 he says, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Victory even over death. Now let me ask you something. We all kind of got excited about that, right? Whoo! We got the victory. We've overcome everything. We're more than conquerors. And everybody's pretty good. Now take a deep breath. How many of you are thinking, I don't feel so victorious. I don't really feel like a more than conqueror. I don't really feel like I've overcome the world. Are there a lot of times when it feels like the world has overcome you? Does it feel like a lot of times that the pressures, that, that all the things that, that, that are going on, that, that they have just overcome us? Yeah, I think that happens from time to time. But we need to be reminded that even in the middle of all that, even when we don't feel victorious, we are. Because it's not about us. Our victory does not lie in ourselves. Our victory lies in Jesus Christ. And our faith in him. Our faith, our obedience, our love for God is what gives us the victory. I like to win. And you know, tennis or golf, it doesn't matter. Those things don't matter in the long run. But in my battle with Satan, in my battle with sin, in my battle with the, the pressures and the things of this life, to know that I already have the victory. To know that I am already a more than conqueror is an amazing feeling. And we can walk around victorious. 
We can walk around knowing that we have the victory through Jesus Christ. Obedience at times may seem hard. Obedience may seem burdensome. But when we truly love God, it's not burdensome. And when we truly love God, it provides us with a victory to overcome the world. If you're here this evening and you're struck this morning and you're struggling and maybe you don't feel very victorious and you need some some prayers and some encouragement from the church family. Or if there's some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield. Dot org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.